Season's greetings, everybody, and thank you for downloading One Foot in the Podcast here at Christmas time. Of course, some of you may not be listening to this until well after Christmas, whereby this little extra ditty I've included at the beginning of the podcast may be utterly depressing. But for those who are listening at just about the right time, it may be more bearable, or may not. Anyway, I just wanted to thank each and every one of you who's downloaded One Foot in the Podcast this year. I started before lockdown and didn't think I'd get much further into uh, Series 1, past Series 1, but it's continued well into this hideous new era of reality that is a hard pill to swallow. I hope those of you who are lucky enough to have family around uh, you right now to enjoy the Christmas holidays and as much as you can. If you're in the situation where family aren't around you, just know that one for the podcast is here for you and to always give you company. And also get in touch. You know my email address, Twitter. We'll have a chat. A big thanks to everyone who's left a review and to guests, my brother James, Ben, Simon, Peter, Matt, Nikki, David, Richard, Darren, John, Lucy, JD, and of course Mike, Fenton, Stevens. Many of you you are joining me in the new year for future episodes. You know who you are, so thank you to you too. Anyway, you've earned yourselves a rest. Headphones on, milk tray and snowballs at the ready. And get ready for One Foot in the Podcast Christmas special, which happens to be Series 5, Episode 1. Merry Christmas and a truly much improved new year. In the name of bloody hell, we don't half need it. Welcome back to One Foot in the Podcast with me, Tom. I'm today joined by a fellow podcaster who has been semi-acquainted with me in a previous podcast in life when he called in to discuss Only Fools and Horses on the Jolly Boys podcast. He keeps in touch now and then, and I was thankfully able to get him on the show. It's only John Lush. Welcome, John. Good evening. Thank you so much for having me on. I've been very much excited to come on. So you host um, Monkeys and Dogging, which is a P- the Peter K car share comedy. Hugely popular and it still is isn't it yeah it's yeah it's just i I describe it as um pie and chips watching Mm. car share is very um reassuring it's very um there's something typically british about it and uh yeah Yeah. it's it's been fantastic to review the episodes and uh i think there might have been only one one very small podcast but apart from that no one else had covered it so um it's been great to give it a bit more exposure I haven't heard of the other podcast, and you've already done so well, haven't you? So many listeners, and you've even got one of the writers on, is that right? One of the producers, did you say? Yeah, so we had uh, the co-writer uh, of Series 1, a co-writer and co-creator, Tim Reed, a really nice guy, um, really privileged to get uh, about half hour, 40 minutes with him. So, um, so yeah, that was brilliant. So uh, Can't put you in touch the... with, with uh, Mr. K himself? <laughs> well, that would be the dream, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, that would be the dream. Uh, who knows? Who knows? We, we have had a few retweets uh from sean gibson who of oh, course yes. yeah, sean. Uh, 
is is the other lead. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, that's that would still be the stuff of dreams. So Sean Gibbs, she co-wrote some of the episodes, didn't she? Yeah. So her. I mean, her, it was kind of natural. It was a Busman's holiday for them too, really. I mean, I don't know. If, there's various outtakes, and there was even an unscripted episode, and you could tell that the two of them. It was just so natural. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, very clever lady, very talented, and uh, the chemistry they had was fantastic. They'd known each other for years and years and years and you could really tell in the series okay well um continue good luck with the uh, podcasts and i've admitted i i haven't truly probably watched dk's car show i've seen snippets and i saw i don't uh, understand the reference monkeys and dogging but i did watch a scene with the monkey in the back of the car uh, which i did find really funny so that's um that's planted the seed for me to watch fully properly that, that that explains the monkeys part I, the dogging part I, I i can reassure you is uh another very famous scene from the series is when i set up my so i set up a facebook group and obviously the, the twitter handle and everything and um when i sent out the invites i think i got a few uh weird responses and some people sort of thinking oh my god this is some sort of dodgy thing that you're inviting me to so um but yeah but but yeah i think I now it. people uh, have have realised it's me. It's a good quirky name to have, actually. Even though I I didn't fully get the reference, it it, it stood out. So it's a good. It's better than calling it the Peter K Car Share Podcast, isn't it? So that's, yes, that's good. Um, <laughs> cool. move, moving on to all things One Foot, then. So were you watching the series as it was aired in the nineties? Were you really there much, on a yeah. Thursday night or a Sunday night when they when they were there? Just about, I think. So I was born in. I don't mind telling people. I was born in nineteen eighty. So um, it was kind of around. I was kind of getting into comedy when I was pretty young, probably eleven to twelve. Yeah, eleven, twelve. And I used to go buying a lot of the VHS tapes. I loved going to WH Smith and other other retail outlets are available. <laughs> and um, one foot was probably second to only falls obviously only falls was number one for me but yeah. one foot was probably second to be honest um and um yeah so i used to buy i think i managed to get pretty much all of the episodes on vhs um however expensive they were it's at the so, time so expensive wasn't it like 12.99 yeah 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 um but yeah so i discovered one foot pretty quickly and 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 loved it um and kept watching it and i always remember when i went to university in leeds um in 99 um yeah. a lot of my uh new roommates housemates were very uh amused by my collection of uh, one foot I, I mean yeah for me i i was conscious of one foot in the grave probably from about 93 94 i'm a tad younger than you although <laughs> i look older i would have only been four when when the show first aired so I, I would imagine time after time i say this my grandparents were watching it so i would when they babysit my brother and i we would they were put on they had, they had the videotapes i was around for most of the airings from sort of series four onwards i suppose um in terms of consciously knowing one foot in the grave yeah i think i did it in, in backwards order i think i probably certainly didn't watch it in order i may i can't remember off the top of my head but i probably got in three series yeah season three or four yeah. and then i mean because i remember getting the vhs for series one and thinking yeah. obviously i've never seen these before so yeah you can get all six series for for silly silly amount of pennies. No, yeah. that's not the right phrase. It's stupidly cheap. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. For a show like this, I mean, I know DVDs aren't, but even when I brought the box set way before streaming was as popular as it is now, say back in two thousand and four, two thousand five, it wasn't that much. It must have been only fifteen twenty quid. So I've always been amazed how cheap this kind of class series is. But anyway. 
So, priceless. Mm. Yeah. Hang on, just dog back in. This will might happen a few times. <laughs> he gets a bit needy. Okay. I've got a cat behind me, but he's pretty still, so um, I don't think we should get any disturbance from him. How still? <laughs> not, you didn't find it in the, fr- in the fridge. In the <laughs> fridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he feels pretty warm-ish. Yeah. Well, for this episode, we open up with episode one, series five, aired Christmas Day 94. So if I was a bit of a blag, I, I probably could call this uh, a one thing the podcast Christmas special. Depends when I air it, I suppose. But I think this, I think the BBC wanted Renwick to come up with a Christmas special because he'd had previously done it in, in the years before 94. I think the compromise was he just released this episode on Christmas Day with a very, with minimal Christmassy feels. It wasn't a, a feature length as such, but it was at Christmas Day. So that was the go between us. But oh, well, that was the hit, no, meeting them in the middle. It was nine o'clock as well, wasn't it? It went out at nine o'clock. Um, so it was real peak time. Yes, yeah. I guess was watershed around in '94. That... I think so. I, 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 not, I always remember the watershed certainly. So yeah, um, yeah I think it was. Yeah, and it was a 40, 40 minutes, wasn't it? So just, just slightly yeah. longer. So yeah, he, it's usually like a yeah, thirty minutes, but just a little bit longer than he would usually would. So I'll go in with a synopsis, and then we can crack on with the show. So the Meldrews have the rare luxury of an insurance payout when their car has been stolen. The agony of choice in which cars are slept may not compare to the agony that is yet to come regarding the whereabouts of their previous vehicle. The local youths enjoy playing pranks on Victor, and meanwhile, Mr and Mrs Ellsbury are having one of their parties, which causes an, uh, an insomniac response to the Meldrews. And an old holiday acquaintance turns up after 17 years to, vi- to visit Victor and Margaret. Margaret. <laughs> to visit Victor and Margaret, much to their polite bemusement that's my own synopsis i don't like to read like internet ones you probably should after that no it's good i like it but, oh, blimey. usually i keep a much uh, shorter but series five i mean the storylines like become a lot more stronger there's a lot more depth to them isn't there there's mm, like, subplot. There's like a subplot as well more so and that's why i don't know if the i think the episodes do remain 30 minutes throughout apart from this one but yeah anyway the opening shot is very much a i think this is what Raymond was trying to do to make it look Christmas Eve. So Margaret's walking through the, the snow, comes across uh, an angry looking snowman, which it looks a bit of a poor attempt at convincing snow, in my view, even for like for 94, it doesn't look yeah. entirely convincing. Um, no, it was pretty poor, wasn't it? Yeah. Around, there's a sign around the snowman which has uh, abandoned hope all ye who enter here, which <laughs> Margaret removes and chucks in the bin. I, I wonder if that was a, a, uh, Patrick Trench prank, I don't know, or it could have been some of the local use. We'll, we'll learn a little bit more about the local use later, won't we? Yeah, there's certainly a few few suspects as to who that could be, and I must admit, I um, I hope it's not too much of a negative comment. I think you've got to have some gallows humour in this time with COVID nineteen. When I saw that, when I was rewatching the episode, I sort of thought, oh, you know, yeah, that's kind of a little bit like uh, like the UK at the moment, and yeah. like a lot of countries, and of course, and possibly the states with everything that's happening over there as well sort of uh the fact there isn't much hope so i thought that was quite apt with uh today's time it's good timing isn't it yeah definitely going through the back garden margaret spots some of the laundry um, which is i mean it must be well let's presume it's december 
and the temperatures are going to be close to zero. I don't know what's possessed them to put their laundry out to dry. Uh, well, Victor's, uh, yeah, and, and as we soon discover, Victor gets a telling off, doesn't he? Um, obviously, he's uh, forgotten to get it in. You would imagine, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a big domestic god by any stretch, but you would imagine you might be able to squeeze a couple of hours out, I suppose, in the middle of the day if it's sunny, but you wouldn't want it out long. If the sun's been out... Um, and you could just, yeah, clutch at straws if you've just got a bit of damp washing. But I'm not going to go too much into it. But I just think it's a funny visual with the, um, <laughs> like they're like pants made of cardboard, basically. And they're just solid, frozen. So, yeah, it's just a funny visual gag. And, of course, we do learn later on that um, that there is a, a sort of relevance to the, the washing being yes. all over the place in the garden, don't we? Uh, as yeah. Patrick will discover. It, a it does have a, a good joke, to be fair. Uh, meanwhile, inside in the cosy indoors, uh, Victor's, I think he's reading the local rag, isn't he? And it looks quite nice what he's doing, but many would find it disgusting dipping uh, like a cocktail stick into the milk tray. Is it a milk tray? Or well, I, I, I was going to go, at first I was going to say dairy box, but I think you're right, actually. Yeah, it is. It's, is it milk? Yeah, it's milk tray. It's milk the colour, you can tell, can't you? Yeah, yeah, it's milk tray. Many people receive milk tray box sets at Christmas don't they so it might be in line with the Britishness of uh, a typical Christmas chocolate feast but he's um, dipping it in his tea which that doesn't disgust me as much as some people I, I it doesn't me either I, I like it yeah. I probably do that nothing wrong with melted chocolate and he's reading out an article about um, massive 46 inch breasts <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of comments he makes. Um, sort of uh, listen to a housewife moan, uh, and Victor sort of says, oh, "I can do that any day." Um, and then the, the massive 46 inch breasts, and Lee sort of says, "You know, how have they got cowbells on them?" <laughs> yeah. um, which I thought was very amusing. I, I, for me, one of the sort of interesting points. I don't know if he picked up on it when he's reading out the ads. Yeah. Is he? Um, he says. Uh, I called one once. It was about as erotic as Amy Turtle. Now, Amy Turtle, I did a bit of Googling, so I think I'm a clue. I had to do that as well. Yeah. Um, but I just found it interesting, the fact that he he called one once. I mean... Just, I, I, I made that note. Yeah. I, I, one can only assume he just got mixed up and read misread an article. I just also thought it was semi-interesting that they used Amy Turtle. Turtle sort of relating to tortoises and whatever and that's in the show title but i probably just a coincidence but yeah i, I thought that was a bit strange but what, whatever victor's reading is good goes beyond an innuendo doesn't it it's just some Renwick's pretty good at putting these imaginary articles in whatever newspaper they're reading it's always i mean i think um mrs warboys reads out some absolute classics in in series yeah there's quite a few times like isn't there where newspapers are used in the series and one of of the characters is reading something out from them off the top of my head i think i'd be in series six i can't remember the episode now but mrs wallboys reads out an article about some housewife keeping her her late husband's foreskin in a in a jar or something like that (laughs) so revolting sounding but still funny but anyway uh, Victor wanders around his living room and he finds a prosthetic arm, well, like a, a prank arm in the, was it in the drawer? In the, in the top drawer under the fish tank, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, do you think he's, he's well, I, I got that he had uh, found it earlier and put it in there. Or do you think that he's just discovered it at that I, moment? I, no, I think, I think he's found it earlier because he would certainly have something to say if 
to us the the viewer if someone had broken in um but it's still got the fish tank still very much apparent like it was in series four i don't yeah. know how many how many more um guppy he's got i thought it's quite good that they continued with that i think by the sounds of it victor and margaret have been on the receiving end of, of these pranks from a couple of local uh, young young chaps again we're talking about sort of subplots and things getting more intensive in series five again there's kind of um as we will find out the people behind the pranks also play a part in a in a gag towards the end as well so it all sort of comes together quite nicely doesn't it and Renwick does that so well just genius writing isn't it victor yeah. victor appears bored and um, i think again to add to the christmas feel from Renwick, he he being Victor tries to open a Christmas cracker, yeah, or a cracker or whatever it is, and the um, there's always that thing in in lots of comedies where the main lead can't pull a cracker; they just struggle with it. I've not, off the top of my head, so, I can think of Mr. Bean, but I'm sure there's other comedies yeah. where they just can't pull a cracker by themselves. So anyway, so he pulls the cracker with the with the help of the wedging in the door crack isn't he basically wedging in the door yeah yeah I, I i i can think of something else that was wedged in the door in a in a very late episode of one foot in the grave you may up, yeah with involving uh, mrs Warboys, which she, yeah <laughs> yeah in paranoid mode isn't she about victor and that so yeah in the crack he puts the the, the fake plastic stash on and for once, not taking himself that seriously. He has a look in the mirror, but he doesn't... It's almost like he's poking fun of himself, which is... Yeah, he keeps it small, on, doesn't he? Just a minor, just a minor point I observed. Um, and he goes to sit down, another dip in the old chocolate, dairy milk, or whatever it is, milk tray. And he's, he's going to read a joke. taking it very seriously, isn't he? He's sitting down, putting glasses on, another bite of the chocolate... I love it when Victor's relaxed, though. It's funny you should say that. There are times, isn't there, throughout the series where you just get glimpses of when he's quite content and quite kind of like, you know, in his in his good place. And he's he's read the newspaper, he's chilled out, he's been naughty, not got the washing in, so he's been really cosy and had a chilled, chilled time by the looks of it. Of course, he makes the comment with the paper that he's read it from front to back or something like that. Um, so he's just had a really lazy time and you just get the impression that, yeah, um, he's actually pretty chilled. At that point. Yeah, and he's got a lot of time on his hands to read the, the rag. But as he's as he's uh, about to read the paper, I think Margaret comes in with the rest of the the laundry stacked up like it's flat pack furniture almost. And Victor reads out the joke. Unbelievable! You see this? But I just found one of those crackers you bought. No, but do please tell me. Question: What's the difference between Victor Meldrew and a chef who keeps dropping his pancakes? Answer. They're both useless tossers. <laughs> I don't know if this is intentional or not, but the joke, like Victor says, doesn't quite make sense, does it? To be fair. But like he says, but rather pedantically, which is quite a clever bit of comedy because he's... Never mind that there's someone's put a joke in about Victor Meldry and it's probably putting it in every single box sold at the local supermarket. He's more, he's more interested in the fact that the joke doesn't quite work although funny, because what well, the way it's delivered, I suppose. Bastards. He says, when he says bastards, it's just hilarious. Oh, I, 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 we can all relate to it. I, I know you've talked about on previous pods about sort of being grumpy and, and those moments. And um, I kind of wish I was a bit more Victor sometimes. Yeah. I, I kind of have my internal Victor thoughts, but I don't necessarily um, sort of relay them. But I've got a bit of confession to make with that joke as well. Um, something I used to do a lot. Um, and kind of to a less, lot lesser extent now, but where I used to be such a comedy fanatic and used to watch so much and not, a lot of my sort of friends and, and peers didn't. So I could get away with sort of, cut, you know, 
putting jokes off that I've seen on there as my own. I obviously I wouldn't do that now for you know legal <laughs> no. reasons, but um, just with like schoolmates and college mates and stuff like that. And uh, I used to use that joke a hell of a lot, especially around Pancake Day. Obviously, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. With, uh, I mean- I'll probably be using it this Christmas when I pull open a crack and pretend I'm reading that particular joke, but uh, maybe I could I'd love modi- to see that. modify the names for people around the table. I don't know, and I'll probably offend them. I'd be dwelling on who the hell's put this joke in the in the crackers. I mean, is it just this one? Is it <laughs> all all crackers sold at the local supermarket? I don't know if it goes to the food. How many people has it gone out to? That's it. I know. They'd have to, that's a lot of effort to put that in there at the last minute or at the, at the wherever, wherever it's made in whichever factory, but yeah. I think it does it show us at this stage in his life how known he is in the, in the area for someone to do that. I mean, we've had people graffiti on his home or prank call his telephone and stuff, but somebody's gone out the way to put a relatively harmless joke, but into crackers. I mean, I don't know if it's if it's the shop run by Dodgy Douglas, as mentioned in series six, like just a little yes. corner shop, then. That's probably not a big deal because only a few people are going to get hold of it. But it's the happy shopper, isn't it? Margaret says it's happy shopper because I love oh, yeah, the reaction. You know, he, he sort of says uh, happy shopper. You know, um, and I mean they're they're quite small. I mean they're a bit of a throwback, aren't they? I think there's still a few around, but they're, they're a bit of throwback to the 80s yeah, and 90s, certainly. Well. But I think they were quite like, um, like small. Safeway or Gateway, that sort of era, maybe. Oh god, yeah. Oh god, I remember Gateway? Yeah. 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 Yeah, but Vic, Vic, Victor suspects that it's the same people responsible for the you know the false limbs that have been been planted in and around their house, and he said I think he said that Mrs. Blithery. I, I, I don't think it's Blithery. Blithery, yeah. Blithery yeah. At, at number twenty-five nearly had a heart attack. So uh, we we'll see Mrs. Blithery shortly. But it's not just. I don't know if it, if he Victor means that the, these pranks are played on just Victor or others in the area. Because Mrs. Blizzard nearly had a had a heart attack. I think maybe she sawed them near his house, but I, I just wonder if the pranks are played on others. And at that point, I don't know. Yeah, I get the impression that he it may just be him. Um, yeah, possibly. I yeah, think so. I, I think he's kind of like targeted, isn't he? Um, yes. Bit of a local yeah. celebrity, like you say, well known. He also recalls a prank uh, regarding a live frog being posted through the letterbox. Uh, yeah, end up in Victor's bath. I think he thought it was a. Um, he well, at first he thought that it was um, uh, soap or something. Him having his beans on toast for breakfast because I made a note that about the croak. Know, oh, he was, heard some croaking and he thought yeah, croaking and he thought it might be his beans <laughs> on toast. And you kind of because I kind of thought you know would you have? I mean, most people like beans on toast, but like would you have it for breakfast? I I, I don't know if I've ever had it for breakfast myself, I'm, but. I want a very few people who does not doesn't like baked beans. I like the sauce, but oh, I do don't. not like baked beans. So oh, you don't actually say so definitely people call me a weirdo for that. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's um, but it's just a nice bit of storytelling, isn't it? I say nice. It's a funny bit of storytelling. Just it's, 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 yeah, again, I love the idea of Victor just having a leisurely morning and making himself beans on toast for breakfast. He said, "Oh yeah, he was trying to pull it." Margaret says Victor spent two minutes trying to put it on. Palmolive soap, and again, I made a reference. Palmolive, I think it's still around. Bar, That's going to yeah. back as well, isn't it? Yeah, the old yeah. soap bars. Yeah. So he spent two minutes uh, trying to put it on, trying to rub it on Palmolive soap. And that was a live frog. He must have killed it. It's horrendous oh, to think. I don't, I don't like the idea. Of, that, I'll be honest. I don't like the idea of that frog. So. I feel like the the the, uh, the whole animals references and, and deaths and of animals uh i don't know if it's been mentioned for a while i've just re- i've reviewed comment re- the comment relief episode i don't think it's anything was mentioned in that 
have done one foot in the Algarve. I mean, by the time people listen to this episode, they'll hopefully downloaded it. But I don't recall any animal death recently. Almost every episode there's an animal death or reference to an animal. But I there is a so lot, far yeah. I can't think of apart from the frog. So the frog is the is the first mention of a animal death. So then we we, we go on to um uh, to discover that um, Margaret's late back um, and Victor inquires as to why and uh, Margaret tells us that um, she gave her driving lessons to I think I've got to pronounce it, Mrs. Stebbings. Mrs. Stebbings has been mentioned like, a few times, yeah. We, we, get, we get a lot of, um, in this particular episode as well, I don't know um, how you've compared it to previous ones, but we, there's a lot of references to other characters. Obviously, we get Mr. and Mrs. Ellsbury, yeah. um, and obviously our special guest at the end as well. But uh, yeah, Mrs. Stebbings and... Um, uh, Victor sort of says to Margaret, that's a bit of a risk, you know, right, in the dark, she got yeah. no sense of direction. Um, and of course, then we find out a bit more about Mrs. Stebbings that um, Victor sort of says to Margaret, well, how many people do you know that uh, go to the toilet facing the cistern? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is, I think, by one foot in the grave at this point, it's long since got the reputation where they can get away, not say get away, but they can just tell a very brief anecdote and it's funny. You don't need to see it. It's just no, that's word it. of mouth. It's just funny. Just that, that, that vision of that, some old dear sort of sat the wrong way. Um, and something about her cat as well. Mrs. Stebbins had a cat. Very. Uh... Oh yeah, this is brilliant. So um, she, the cat can't see, uh, chased a mouse upstairs and almost choked to death on a pummel stone. A cat losing a sight. She, Stebbins considered getting its uh, contact lenses or something. Uh, yeah, and Victor makes a comment. You know what? What you're going to test the eyesight with uh, a sort of uh, a, a chart with different sizes of whiskers. <laughs> I think in this in this moment, uh, Victor's in sort of semi interrupted by Margaret, who can see that Victor is trawling through a catalogue of vehicles. Yeah, catalogue and... of vehicles, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Three months is it now? <laughs> I still can't believe anyone would steal your car outside a garden centre in Pearly. <laughs> I know, just when I thought we were never going to get rid of the bloody thing. <laughs> yes, it's been a complete disaster from the day we first bought it. Never knew what was going to seize up next. And then, oh, the bliss when we came out of that tea shop and discovered that some poor son had nicked it. <laughs> It was like having a very unpleasant boil lanced. <laughs> Do you realize? They got a very rare insurance payout because their car had been uh, nicked. And Victor's delighted with this. I mean, this usually this would be something that would um, make his blood boil. And um, but obviously, I, I presume it was a very unreliable car. I've just gone through that very recently, although um, that's for... I did a Mel Drew Moan on the last pod about almost paying a, a large amount for a car I've not had that long, but thankfully that's all resolved. But yeah, he's um, unsure about which car to choose and very relieved that um, it was stolen. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he, he said it's the first time in their life they're going to benefit mm. from an insurance policy. Um, but is it the first time, though? Because when their house got demolished they obviously had some sort of insurance payout for that because it said um six months and many 
arguments with the insurance company later. Oh, yeah, that's um, a really good point. So they had a lot of dispute with it, I guess, but they must have got the result in the end, mustn't they? Must have got some in, yeah. I mean, you, you, uh, you got house insurance for a reason, like, or whatever. But anyway, they're not going to pick holes. I think <laughs> I know what he means, basically, apart from your, your house, general day-to-day, year-to-year insurance, it's paid off at last. The scene cuts to Patrick and Pippa's home. We're in Patrick's office. Uh, he's on his computer as ever. And rather lazily walking Denzel the dog on the cross-running machine. Now, this is something that is, I think, in 94, would have been obviously hilarious to see and quite an original idea. Mm-hmm. But I think I've seen so many uh, memes and gifts of pets being walked on running machines that yeah you yeah. watch back you go well it's funny for its time but it's like well that's been done isn't it several times so it's, <laughs> it, was, it was cute and funny for a while but to be fair one foot probably got there first i don't remember seeing anything like that in any no i i think at the time i think it would have definitely been a laugh out lo- yeah. laugh out loud moment um and it's just quite funny looking at patrick working in the office i mean i know some people have been work you know have worked from home uh, in the you know uh, going back yeah. even 25 years ago but obviously again going back to the aptness of today with lockdown and everything it's um yeah you could imagine i wonder how many other people have uh done similar things Probably. Uh, during lockdown you know uh, what, what, what else can you do? well that could lead to a whole different discussion yeah, what have you true. done in your room while yeah. you've been working what <laughs> else have you been doing you know uh, but yeah so um, uh, Pippa of course reminds him that um, Denzel needs to do other things they've got other bits of business to tend to it they dogs so uh, not yeah. just the walking but Patrick appears to be pre- prepping a presentation of sorts to a, a couple of business consultants or I don't, I don't know i don't quite know what the business is um some sort of proposition for him to be consult i don't know i don't think it matters as such but it's perhaps it's a big a, deal for him though it's, isn't it? it's a big deal yeah 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 and like he says perhaps they can afford to, to therefore move away from riverbank away from someone that's vaguely like human-like i think he's he's, he's beyond fed up of victor Meldrick at this stage and almost on cue to prove his point, you can hear very loudly next door. Oh, no! The walls must be extremely thin. Um, I know it's for the benefit of the viewer. But you can hear it so clearly, can't so you? Clearly. Yeah. It's so clear, yeah. isn't it? So what do we discover? So we're back in the Meldrews' living room. So I've got some news, and you can tell she's dreading telling him, can't you? You know, you yes. know she, she's just fraught, and she, she initially doesn't say a lot. And Victor kind of almost... Know. Coaxed her out, coaxed her out of there. I tell you, before before we did switch to the trenches, just to go back a bit, they did. It was quite a quite an artistic, a very unusual shot or artistic shot of the Meldrews living room where the cordless telephone in the foreground. So the phone is ringing before this scene ends to go to the trenches office home. Yeah, and the shot is just strange. You've got the back of Victor's head in the back and this of you know of his armchair and. It's just a shot I've never seen before. It's about yes, yeah, seven you're minutes, right. 48 in. Just Yeah, just just watching that back there, even though I watched this back very recently. I didn't really take that take that in. But yeah, so what have we discovered? Unfortunately the for the Meldrews, the, the car is... Um, their original it's car back. is found. 
It's back. Would you believe it? After three months, just when Victor's talking about winning an insurance policy, the devastating news comes in. And uh, of course, uh, what, what, what I find interesting is that Victor sort of says to Margaret, where, you know, where have they found it? And you can tell that Margaret's thinking, oh, he's going to hit the roof. Yeah. And uh, in all places, it's been found in Finland. That car couldn't get to Finchley. And, you know, the, the, the one liner that people love to quote online is, which yeah, Carl can just get says it all. Just we just yeah. that, that just confirms how much of a heap it was. I don't I don't know too much about car insurance claims of that nature, but I just wonder had Victor hurried up and ordered a new vehicle, then that would have been done and dusted. I assume he wouldn't have to have claimed his old one back. But I mean, I don't know. Surely I don't know the technicalities of it. I guess it's been found. It's it's therefore no longer nicked. So it is, can't yeah. I, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, he could have easily ordered a new car. It's taken three months just to even remotely decide what he wants. So, I mean, it's his own fault. You know, three, that's 12, 13 weeks just to go, what car do I want? And I know you've got to be sure, but I guess if he'd ordered a new car and the old one was found, then it's null and void, isn't it, I suppose? Maybe. I don't know whether he, I mean... We get the impression that they've tried to lose the car several times, haven't they? And maybe he was almost to the point where he thought that even though it had gone missing, he he kept thinking it was going to be found. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I don't know what was going through his mind, but he's got plenty of time in his hands, maybe too much time in his hands to decide yeah. on a new car. Yeah, I think well, the car, the original car, I wish I could remember the make. Do you remember, what's the make and model? Oh, it's I think like, it's like... Really um, I can picture it in my head, but I can't. So I'm not a super fan. I, I, I I'm not a car that. man, to be honest. I'm not, not really me. a car man. That's that's my fault. Honestly, I'm rubbish with cars. Um, as had, long as it works for me, that's fine. I had Andy Andy Stowe on Andrew Stowe, who was on for Secret of the Seven Sorcerers, and he was a bit of a um, petrol head. He seemed to know all the vehicles in the show, so I'll have to ask him when he listens to this. Yeah, we need Andy. He'll yeah. Get in touch. Yeah, but um, it, the car was found by a woodcutter, like a lumberjack of sorts. Um, woodcutter in the forest. In yeah. the forest. I mean, I think did they were the victors? The victors? The, the Meldrews last in that car at the gardening centre or something because they had plants and stuff. At the, the garden centre in Purley, I think Margaret says. Um, and yeah, and of course we we would soon discover that the um, the stuff they bought in the garden centre mm. is still in the car, yeah. and it's, uh, it's grown over overgrown, which overgrown, which we've seen in a minute. But what I thought was rubbing salt into the wounds there is that the I think the police said they've kept. His name and address in case you want to give him a reward. <laughs> oh, I'll give him oh. a thick ear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Never Victor, mind a reward. Oh. Victor's just rhetorically shouting out, you know, why why is this happening? You know, I think, does he, what's the Judith Chalmers line he uses? Yeah, so um, Victor says, why would anyone want to go to Finland? And Margaret picks up the phone and says, here, ring Judith Chalmers. <laughs> Uh, again a great throwback great nostalgia thinking back to Judith Chalmers I mean she was on peak time TV a lot back then of course wasn't she yes yeah and she's not mentioned as much now but yeah is she is she she's still with us isn't she Judith Chalmers I think so I think yeah. so I'm pretty I'm pretty sure she is yeah I mean that horrible year in 2016 when we lost a lot oh. of celebrities I don't think she um she went bless her I think she's still with us so um 
right at the end of that scene, Margaret walks out of the room and Victor sort of looks up to the heavens and does that sort of thank you, patron saint of insurance companies. Very Basil Forty, I thought that was just that was very Basil Forty, like, yeah. The world's yeah. against him, sort of. And that brings an end to that scene. I think it's I don't know however long, I don't know how many days later this is, but we're at the um, external shot, front of the house, the retrieval of the car, and as um, expected, all the plants have overgrown. Because it doesn't help that there's a compost bag in there, so it's obviously increased the speed of growth. And there's still snow in the garden as well, isn't there? Yeah, it's it's, it's still winter time, so it's going to be January, February, the latest, I suppose, at this point. So Patrick and Pippa exit their house at the same sort of time as Victor and Margaret are receiving their reclaimed car, and they're rather kindly giving uh, Margaret a lift to work. I think Patrick's got the big meeting on this day. Yeah, he's all dressed up, isn't he? He's all uh, suited and booted. Um, they're going to, I think in the next, I think the scene is quite a short scene. We're now in uh, the town centre. I don't really recognise whereabouts this part is filmed. Anyway, but Patrick is heading to his big, big business meeting. And Pippa talks of a mix-up of the, the Y-fronts uh, panel, which is pants that blew across into the garden. You see Patrick in the background slowly realising that. Pippa describes the type of underwear and he realised... Blue, blue lining or something, wasn't it? Did he, yeah, I just, like underpants with blue lining, something like that, I think. Well, Patrick should know what his boxer shorts look like. I mean, unless he's got similar. I mean, it's possibly an easy mistake to make, but he's very uncomfortable at this stage. It's very funny to see. I mean, this is a man he he pretty much despises and he's also wearing his underwear, so he, he doesn't want to, want to move. He, he comes up with the line, and the entire genital area has gone into trauma. Um, yeah, <laughs> which I can understand probably having that it, feeling yeah. if you put on another man's pants. It's uh, well, well, let me put it this way to you without, without meaning to be uh, political about it. If you imagine that you've just been told you're wearing Donald Trump's pants, <laughs> for example, <laughs> you know, just for example, you know, for Patrick, uh, how he feels about Victor is how perhaps people that don't like Trump feel about Trump, you know. Any, so, any, um, any, yeah. any 74 year old man's underwear, I don't think I'd be comfortable wearing, even if it was not fresh, uh, not fresh, no, even no. fresh. <laughs> um, Patrick just walks almost like a Ministry of Silly Walk type uh, style across the street because, you know, he just can't believe it. It's the biggest meeting of his life. Um, and Victor, he's not even present in this in this scene and he's, he's getting in the way. It like, just no. shows you, doesn't it, how much he just like, uh, yeah, he can't, uh, <laughs> anything Victor-based, uh, you know. I mean, obviously, like you say, if it be anyone's pair of pants, it's a bit weird. But because he knows it's Victor's, he it, it just he, he can't face the idea. Makes if Pippa's picked up this pair of pants in her garden, then you would assume that she's also been put in laundrette in the winter because otherwise she'd just go, "What's this loose pair of pants doing?" I'll chuck them next door. If she's got a load of washing that's come off the line, we don't need to go too much into it. But it's funny. <laughs> I don't know why. You said that. I mean, these podcasts are pedantic at the best of times. I, I don't even know why I went further with that, but there you go. Well, it's good, and we can just. Uh, it's a rare chance to discuss random things, which it is, is yeah, great. So yeah. I just wonder if this Patrick's meeting has been a long time coming because in series four, he had some business proposition going on where he pretended to spite Victor just to make him feel bad that he had um, a letter saying he, he was no longer going to go into business with this with these partners. But oh, was, it, was that was that not this one? I no, I thought that was no. That's not this. Was it happened more than once? It's happened more than once. I'm just trying to. Ah, uh, no, it does. It sorry, really... it does. It, it does happen in this episode where he will get to it, I know. But I'm sure there's a, an episode in Series 4 where 
something lined up i just can't remember for the life of me it, it does ring a bell yeah it but does ring a bell it's not the only time that victor is kind of scuppered yeah basically yes yeah. uh income yeah, yeah. Uh, employment yeah well um end of that scene brings us to the back end of the riverbank uh the garages there uh, i don't think we really ever see the last time we saw the Meldrews garage was i believe when Victor was babysitting, I think I might actually be no tell a lie. Series one, I think he was babysitting a couple of young boys, friends of Margaret's sons. Oh, and he locked yes. them up in the garage. I think that's series one. Not yeah, series yeah, one. yeah, so yeah. We don't see we don't we don't we don't see uh, the garage as much at all, do we? No, not at all. Um, like, but, he does but there's um, something, yeah, something lurking, isn't there? What's he? What's he spotted now? So it's uh, it's a leg. Um, a, a half a leg. It looks like a leg stuck under. Looks like the garage door is shut. The legs, and obviously there's there, yeah. there, there's someone that's been. Uh, it's a pair of legs, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's a pair. Yeah. I kept thinking it's one. No, you're right. It's a pair of legs. Yeah, it's a pair of legs. Was it like an arm we saw earlier or something? And this time is it? But yeah, Mrs. Um, Blithery jogs past, so we actually see um, Mrs. Blithery, and she doesn't look. She looks. Oh, she's just on a jog, and of course she. She uh, sees the the legs and freaks out a bit. She obviously got some sort of phobia against um, I don't know any kind of Victor horror. Maybe Victor as well. Maybe. <laughs> maybe she might she might be a little bit scared of Victor, <laughs> but she um <laughs> she does the cl- yeah exactly that yeah she does the old um sort of classic comedy thing doesn't she really uh, this is where a bit of uh, the visual gag comes in uh, bit slapstick, the classic the classic slapstick runs runs backwards. And we don't see anything, do we? But we hear a car screeching. Um, I mean, you just you kind of hope I that hope it's a relatively survived. minor thing. I hope she survives, unless it's you know how past. dark David Wenwick can get. I would be surprised. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, I don't know if she's mentioned again. She might be. I mean, I just paused a frame on this out of the car, and it's a Honda. Um, Honda. Of course, he mentions Honda, doesn't okay. he? Yeah. Yeah. Honda. Page, yes. Uh, fans fans of one foot listening to this podcast sort of screaming at me going of course it's bloody Honda we've lost some brownie points there haven't we we should have known that between us (laughs) but it's a Honda um so yeah I mean what I guess the main purpose of that scene is just that it can it's 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 very much setting up setting us up for a further gag um and to support the storyline further on Obviously, it's a filler, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a short scene, but yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it's good to see Mrs. Livery. <laughs> she wasn't quite what I was expecting, actually. She's no, with, with these yeah. with these names, like you see, Mr. and Mrs. Aylesbury at the beginning of series, uh, well, I think in series two or series three, and I always assume because Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Aylesbury were mentioned quite a lot in series um, one and two, so when you saw them, they're sort of a couple in the early mid forties. It just surprised you. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and it's it, the Renwicky names. They often he often makes them sound older than their years. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, back at Riverbank, then. Uh, well, we are in Riverbank, back indoors, should I say? Victor, it's it's night time. By looks fit, he's he's got the kettle on, hot hot water bottle in hand, still dwelling oh. on the on the car, the car being found. I see. Yeah, he's, he's not. He's not. He's not going to forget about that in a hurry, is he? He's. Um, yeah, he's. He's not in a good mood. Not in a good mood at all. Uh, I just wonder if he puts. Uh, I mean, he's not a huge drinker, but I could just imagine like 
putting a bill of there's one episode isn't there i think it's at the episode where he doesn't they don't sleep where he goes put a put a spot of rum in it timeless time yeah rum in, yeah. in the is it rum in the coffee or something it's something that was rum mixed something with like that wasn't it hot, I, milk, I, I, hot milky drink or something or, or it was um what's the old it's like horlicks but it was a milky drink but mixed rum with it. i thought that just surely curdle but yeah, I don't know. But I, but, I could just imagine him there, you know, sort of, um, so he's pouring. Uh, so obviously they have a cup of tea in bed when they go to bed at night. Gone to the effort of pouring the hot water into a teapot to then pour yeah. a hot water bottle, which he will eventually be using for casually to warm up the toilet seat. And yes, yes. Bed, which we've all we've all sat on a freezing cold bog seat. I mean, if your heating's not on and it's winter, I mean. You're asking for trouble, aren't you? Unless you're on a, on a tight budget, that's a good way around it. It just looks funny, doesn't it? And it's it's something we can all relate to. I don't think I can't say I've done what Victor's done, but I can imagine many have in, in desperate times, desperate measures, freezing cold bathroom. But just before we get to that, I just there's the interaction with Victor and Margaret is wonderful, really, because they're often shouting at each other across different rooms, which is quite unusual for many sitcoms because the dialogue's almost always between two characters in the same room so she's just shouting that she's shouting out to him that she suspects she solved the mystery of the practical joker and it's um mr grimway's children two the grimways uh, another another great surname eh? the grimways i thought it might have been um the kids in oh the episode warm champagne you know when they played cricket outside his front door and oh yes you have the wickets drawn on the and it's house, yeah. and it's not um it's it's a different unseen character entirely but yeah he's he's pouring the the water into the um bottle it's also important to note that victor and margaret don't really well victor certainly doesn't really remember who the grimways are so they don't have any idea at all what margaret does but not so they're not on victor. his radar are they they're not on no. victor's radar so I, I, I did have a thought actually perhaps you mentioned that they're often talking to each other in different different rooms yeah, perhaps they were socially distancing before their time. <laughs> yeah, there are many years um, ahead. Well, yeah. I think Margaret's socially distant from Victor where possible. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does say that in 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 the local Asda, she spoke to Mister Grimway and he said he's going to get the kids to apologise to Victor. So he he couldn't be more sorry, could he? He couldn't be more more sorry about yeah. it. Yeah. So it's definitely not this um, other family who I thought was the case when I was rewatching this because the other family were more a bunch of yobbos more than anything but this is where we then see cross between Victor putting the hot water bottle on the on the toilet seat Margaret looking out the bedroom window and she is absolutely horrified it's a bit of a mystery to us uh, what she's horrified at she's not doing the best job keeping it to herself though is she very uh, comedic with yeah no, no, not that subtle it, it, it kind of reminded me I mean when you look out the when she looks out the window and she she looks horrified I, I just compared it to the eye um the worst the worst horror of all yeah you know kind of the, the idea of making sure they don't you know who's who's going to turn up at the door she again she's probably just dreading you you half think that yeah she's dreading what's going to come from what she can see but the other half of her is just dreading victor's reaction you know she yeah, just knows that's it. Gonna get the roof, you know i mean once victor is you know on a rant that's it i mean it's you got to feel this is why many audiences feel for margaret because she does have to put up with his his over-the-top emotions but one thing that's common with 
people love one from the grave is when when they watch it when they're younger they used to sort of probably sympathize more more with margaret and go sort of acknowledge, acknowledge victor's just grumpy and miserable and mm. and the media always sort of use that um phrase um of such and such as acting like a, like acting like a victor meldrew or we, we yeah. not even the media we just sort of say you're acting, acting like a victor meldrew but when you get older and you watch this show back you sort of go no i'm totally on victor's side here for 95 percent of his ramblings uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the old, <laughs> yeah, the sort of older you get, uh, more wisdom you get, shall we say? Let's yeah. paint it in a positive light. Yeah. You, um, there's more things to be grumpy about and and perish the thought yeah. of uh, Victor being around. You know, oh. the last few years, um, life just generally there seems to be more to be grumpy about, doesn't there? <laughs> so, than there was back in 1994. I I would love to. Have, um... If if he didn't kill Victor off, I think it would have, could have worked really well if Victor and Margaret were in a, in a care home together, and oh. all sorts of shenanigans. We, that's it's an entirely different topic. I think it ended perfectly. That's why it's remembered so fondly because it yeah. fitted in with the narrative of one foot that of it being quite dark and to uh, kill off a main character that we love um, is. I mean, when has that been done in comedy? Off the top of your head, can you think of a main character that's been? I know we obviously the young ones and stuff, but I just, I can't think like whether it's Forty Towers, Dad's Army, uh, Only Fools. Um, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like they, they might have say, I mean, like, Fools and Horses. If a, if an actor has passed away, then they will. But we know Leonard Pierce or Buster, they will do the funeral because they have to. But they, yeah, a writer's never gone out of the way to go. Let's kill off in a, in a British sitcom. That is obviously another thousands of other titles in in the drama world they do but it's just such a brave move and i i i think it's beautiful i I think it sums up the program the fact that it's got that slightly darker grittier edge which is david renwick all all over of course and you're absolutely right because if you think about it you've got a very successful comedy and even if you're tempted to start calling it a day on that particular um script you're going to get a lot of pressure from the production companies to say keep producing keep writing and of course there's bound to be that temptation there so once you've killed a character a main character then that is it isn't it so it was brave you're absolutely right and um but i think it was it was right for the for this i think um of course the whole program one foot in the grave and it ends with both feet in the grave, so to speak. We could talk about this all night, but I guess we better get back on to, uh, well, we are <laughs> on topic, but in the scene itself, it's revealed that what Margaret's seen is... I think Mr and Mrs Aylesbury are having one of their parties. Oh, no! <laughs> I don't know if to date we've ever known for them to have house parties. It may have been referenced in previous series. I wouldn't be surprised if it has, and I've just forgotten, but... It causes yeah. an absolute. It's it's as much of a nightmare to Victor as it is finding out that their old uh, Honda's been discovered. They're not gonna. They're gonna be in for a timeless time type sleep lack of. Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 so like the party again. Going back to your point earlier on about um, thin walls, it sounds so loud. And of course, I think there's a. Uh, a mention in this scene um you know no one else is bothered why is no one else bothered it's just affecting us and it made me think do you think that everyone else is invited that's maybe a good, and that's why it's a margaret on yeah that's a very good um theory and probably have been invited 
first of all, I mean, it's still wintry, winter time. I used to envisage this party being sort of sprawled out into the garden, in the front garden, but it's winter, yeah, so very unlikely, unless there's a few smokers. Very, it's likely to be solely indoors, isn't it? It's not a summer party by any means. So that's the whole, God, that's, that must be a very one hell of a loud party. Um, but yeah, could, I mean, I think it's, I get the impression it's just Victor people have a problem with, it's not Margaret. So, I mean, they, they, they couldn't exactly just invite Margaret, I suppose, because they know that um, she'd either bring Victor along or she just point, she just turned down the, the invite because she know it'd be a bit cruel leaving Victor behind. But yeah, it's a good point. That's probably, that's, I don't know if that's obvious to you, not so obvious to me, but yeah, I, I never thought about that. It's 2.30 in the morning and then the party's still in full swing. And, and I think it's just, I think you can hear Rolling Stones playing in the background. It's, bit... it's, it's, it's so late, half past two, and it's so loud. And you, you kind of would think that, you would be a bit annoyed. I would be a bit annoyed. I, it's kind of that, that, that sort of um, deviant part of all of our personalities that if you're bothered by it, if you're upset by something or you're being affected by something, you kind of want someone else to be affected by it too. Yeah. Um, and so I do understand where he's coming from. It's like, well, surely, um, you know, uh, they should be getting phone calls from other neighbours or, say, you know, what are we going to do about it? Or, or even the police. Police would have been called. I know. I, that bothered by it. I've, I've experienced it once or twice with some sort of rave playing across the other side of town and you could just hear it ever so slightly is there it's very subtle noise but it's enough to keep you up i think it's the idea that that it must be so loud that i can hear it like three miles or four or five six miles away mm. that puts you off thinking that must be like just gonna go on and on but yeah two thirty in the morning victor's got a couple of pieces of of, of bog roll um hanging out of his ears which is <laughs> yeah. funny to see and he's just oh yeah, he is trying to wake up Margaret because, like you said, he just wants to share this aggro. She's trying to just get on with it. She's just drifting off, isn't she? And he's almost like he wants to. I think the laughing policeman is played, isn't it? It's George Johnson. I, I did have to look up who sang the laughing policeman. But it's George Johnson, George W. Johnson. Uh, I think. I, I think whatever they were playing is a more of a modern version. Yeah, but, it was. It was. It seems to be a different. Yeah, laughing policeman. I had to remind myself of that because it's been a long time since uh, I'd heard that. very bizarre in my opinion song to play at a party but anyway it's enough it's it's funny it's the perfect song to play to wind up victor because it's literally someone laughing someone laughing at him and, and that, it's a great analogy isn't it it's like yeah oh everyone's laughing at me you know he's having pranks played at with to him at the moment and uh, that's everything he hates someone laughing at his misery i think night night Nighttime scenes in the Meldrews' bedroom are the best, whether it's the street lamp um, crashing yeah. through the window, whether it's timeless time where they both just can't get to sleep and they're just talking, or whether it's uh, Victor accidentally sharing a bed with some old lady. They're just brilliant. It's just, if it was only ever set in a bedroom, it, it would be enough to make me laugh. I wonder why they didn't think to, whether this would have made any difference. But I feel like they'd be further away from the noise if they slept in the spare bedroom. But it's a yeah. slightly further away, and you you'd still hear it. But it's given that you can see the lights pulsating through the curtains, they must be literally opposite the house that's having the party. So if they were just in another room, at least be darker. 
Victor thinks he's got a bit of a win, doesn't he, by uh, catching one of the balloons that floats yeah. by. Yeah, Margaret says, oh, you know, after he uh, gets rid, she sort of says, oh, you feel better now, don't you? And he goes, ever so slightly, yes. So the fact there are balloons in the street makes me think maybe the party is, you know, it's that busy. Maybe people are outside. I'm thinking you dress up warmer up 2.30 in the morning. It must be below freezing. I don't know why I'm so concerned about this. Maybe I'm just... <laughs> Certainly trying, welfare. To, certainly trying to say that maybe it's not the most realistic um, idea, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's great comedy, isn't it? As he goes back to sleep, every every time he, he well, I say every time, he, when he goes, tries to go back to sleep, that when the laughing kicks in off the chorus, mm-hmm. um, policeman's laughter, he kind of like, as if someone's provoking him, he sort of like wants to, almost like wants to start on someone. But you know, yeah, he like cleans around quickly. Yeah, yeah. To say you laughing at me. Yeah, and he just he's yeah. absolutely livid. But it, it does bring us to a more calming. Um, it's not the next scene. It's the next morning, isn't it? It's, it's half past nine, and uh, it's by the sounds of it, they they obviously didn't get to sleep too. I don't, about I he reckons about an hour. He said, "Oh, it must have had about an hour's about an hour in total." Mm. Anna suggested. Um, at least it's a Sunday, like Margaret says. No, no reason to get before lunchtime, which brings a very rare smile to Victor. That's a day. nice thought, he says. <laughs> and, and you can kind of relate to that, can't you? I mean, I can, you know, you think whether you've had a, a rough night because you've got young kids or, or back in the day, perhaps, where you had a big night out or whatever, you know, and you have that initial couple of seconds when you wake up oh no I've got to go to work or oh no I've got to do this yeah. and and it is it is one of the best feelings in the world and I certainly don't get it in my life right now with having two young kids but when you get the moment of oh actually do you know what I don't have to get up I, I don't yeah. actually have to do much today and, and and it's such a lovely feeling isn't it so you can completely get that you can completely yeah. have a feeling yeah and a proper cozy until the moment the telephone rings Four two nine one. Good morning, Mr. Meltrews. Speaking. I think Victor, well, probably regrets picking up, but as soon as he picks it up, again, I think it's all about um, the audio being lovely and clear because we can very much hear the person on the end of the receiver, and he, Victor, recognises straight away who it is, and it's Brian Murphy is voicing, and it will appear as this this actor. It's Mr. Foskett. Oh, you're joking. He is Mr. Foskett. Mr. And Foskett, as I often... live and breathe. Here's a memory test for you, Mr. Meldrew. I wonder if you can cast your mind back over 17 years to Mrs. Moses' guest house in Western Supermare. And I wonder if you remember the small man with a moustache who had to walk through your bedroom every night to get to the toilet. <laughs> 17 years ago last summer it was. How about if I say the name Mr. Foskett? <laughs> I love, sorry to laugh so close to the mic, don't I? I love, he said, the way to remember me is, remember me is we had a hotel room or we had to, I had to go through your bedroom at night to use the toilet. Um, and I just thought, already in that moment, I could picture Victor being wound up by that. And it, it's another <laughs> a vision of a nighttime scene where Victor's involved with getting disrupted. And, and he would have gone to the toilet several times, Mr. Foskett. Definitely. Yeah, definitely would have done. And, <laughs> He's obviously got the Ronnie Mildred type personality about him because it's it's somebody that Victor and Margaret don't want to be uh, around. They don't want to be around many people, actually, but 
this Mr. Foskett is just, they don't want, it's just, no, we, we, 17 years, it might be a long time, but we can still vividly remember. I don't know what he would have done to have offended them, but as we are, we, as we know, we will be introduced to Mr. Foskett shortly and we, we can have a good idea. But at the moment we're thinking, what's, what's this Mr. Foskett done to them? How annoying could he be? But he's a very upbeat, polite person. And they, I think they're preparing for him to invite himself round soon. Mr. Foskett, fancy hearing from you after all this time. Well, you said if I was ever in the vicinity to be sure and look you up, so. <laughs> yes. But obviously I wouldn't just descend on you without giving you a ring first. Uh, uh, no, no. Um, so, uh, where are you at the moment? I'm outside your front door. <laughs> Has literally just turned up and oh, I've just accidentally rung the doorbell. <laughs> just like you know, straight away, it's almost. I think in the first instance, it reminds me in a way, reminded me of Mr. Um, Sweeney, but just think this over a slightly too too happy to be around the male Jews. Anyone that's too happy tends to get on, I'll say, most people's nerves, but certainly Victor's nerves. And poor old Victor Margaret, they were going to have this line until lunch, and now they've very much got to uh, get up. I don't know, Foskett, does he mention that he's got the kids with him or he's, he's gone he's gone to visit the area with the kids or something? Just I don't know. Yeah, a couple of minutes in, he says that I think he'd been to visit his wife's sister. What, what's funny is on the doorstep, so you see the, obviously the two boys behind him, and I think the way that Renwick writes it is that um, Mr. Foskett mentions... No, no, he doesn't mention. I think he looks around. He kind of like it's the way he kind of looks round at them. It's as if you could easily believe. It's very believable that they're all together. If that makes sense. As far as we can see, Mr. Foskett is um, very much present with his two kids who look about I don't know twelve and fourteen. Yeah, or whatever. early um, teenage. You sure I not caught you in an awkward moment or anything? My God, you lost some hair. Still, we've all of us changed, haven't we? There's me now, the father of two. Can you believe it? David and Martin bring a lot of joy into his life. So, yeah, he's, he's stood at the door. This character, played by Brian Murphy, amazingly, definitely my favourite one-off character. Mr Foskett, at this stage, to me, reminds me of Mrs Stinson from Beware the Tricks on the Roof, who talks and talks and talks, and will, even if he asks a question, will interrupt Victor. And it's, it's just funny, because this time, Victor, unlike with Mrs Stinson, Stimson, where he didn't really have a lot of patience for her, he very much got patience for Mr. Foskett, and I don't know why that could be, but he's 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 quite yeah, he's surprisingly tolerant, and he, he's kind of quite nice to him, really. I mean, obviously, you can't get a word in edgeways, but that that for Mr. Foskett is a nice thing. He feels um, actually quite welcome, and Victor and Margaret do a good job at making him feel welcome even if yeah. he isn't and of course uh, that will link nicely to the end mm. of the episode um in terms of what mr foskett uh, how yeah. he felt around them i mean this is where we learn that he is actually visiting the wife's sister who lives close by but she's at home with a, with a migraine so yeah he says you never know if someone wants to meet you after so many years with a polite sort of grin from from victor and he said oh do you know that address you gave me it doesn't exist so we know I, that I did they... find that a bit odd at first he said <laughs> yeah blissfully unaware that's the it's kind of it's cute and it's funny because he just has no no idea it's not like he's purposely putting victor and margaret in an awkward position he generally thinks oh that address that you know that wasn't right i'm convinced that he believes that they meant to give that address i don't Mm. i think he just 
thought it was an innocent mistake, but they've clearly tried to get rid of him before. I think Absolutely. at this stage, we could probably take a guess why they, they um, dread seeing Mr. Foxy or being in this company because he's is a talker. I've, I've come in, I don't, I'm sure you have as well, but if you come into contact with people, you talk, 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 and don't let you get a word in any way. You're just too polite to you know, exit conversation. I think it's this type of person and the fact that he's in their own house. I mean, how can you get rid of... And, and, he's, and he will talk about all the times he's tried to kill himself. So a bit of darkness brought in. How you been keeping? You still got that job on the security desk? No, as a matter of fact. Of course, it was just after that summer holiday that my wife left me, Penelope, for another man. And the show couldn't deal with it. Oh, that's the understatement of all time. You know that feeling when the world just seems to stop turning? I lost my job, was on all sorts of medication, and in the space of three years, I tried to kill myself 13 times, which I won't depress you with now. <laughs> Six attempted overdoses, two exhaust jobs, three times I tried to jump off the roof, but they always talked me down. <laughs> oh, I expect that begs the question of how serious you are, and, uh, of course, I won't show you the scars on my wrist. Look at that. I think 13 times he's tried. But this is even more of a reason for... Meldridge to not chuck him out because he's obviously had a hard time of it despite currently being happy yeah uh, he does reel off a list of the types of um yeah, suicide attempts suicide he's had even even volunteers to show them <laughs> like the scars or whatever doesn't he you know it's um somehow funny though like it's dark but somehow funny because he's so upbeat about it you know if you're talking about the times you killed yourself you might be more morbid in sound but mr foskett is very much oh look i, just, I did this i you know, um, six overdoses, yeah. two exhaust jobs. Uh, like it's like he's reeling off a shopping list of things he's tried to buy. He's surprisingly relaxed about it, and I, I kind of um, again. So what this is this? Nineteen ninety four. So a long time ago, and um, you kind of wonder now if you were writing it now, even within the the comedy world, whether yeah. as a writer, would you even possibly? I mean, with the exception of Ricky Gervais, who kind of. Uh, you know, no taboos with with him, but um, with a lot of comedy writers, would you even try to make not a joke of suicide? But I mean, the way that Mr. Foskett, like you say, is yeah. so relaxed about it, and it's generally not a thing that you would think multiple no, attempts is that isn't a comedy thing. And I just what made me think in 2020, obviously different culture, different times. Would um, would that still have been written like that, or or or, or, or perhaps differently? Makes you think. Possibly. I mean, it does seem to be a few comedians out there could probably get away with it, like Gervais like, would still get away with that. But one could argue that if, it, if it's spoken of in, in a humorous manner, then it's more positive than negative. So I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a funny old one. But yeah, um, it, it certainly explains why they're being polite to him because they know he's had a hard time. Despite the fact that he's now met with the new love of his life, Loretta, two children, and, you know, the, these the two... Uh, boys are there they're all scoffing there or they're drinking tea and eating biscuits and um the boys aren't really saying anything i think that's the case when you're when you're young and you when you go to see friends of your parents or whatever or distant relatives you generally don't really say much do you so it's quite a realistic realistic setup and i think mr foskett's even sat in victor's chair so he's very much dominating this whole (laughs) setup isn't he Um, brilliant um but a number of he's a couple of times he's asked Victor a couple of questions about you know, what he's up to and even references so he's, he's still doing that security job Victor doesn't even get a chance to say well I've got me redundant so an answer. yeah it's 
it's funny yeah i'm at the my next bit is at the mill table really which so so yeah they, they are scoffing their face but um it looks like margaret's done a done a meal for it them basically delicious. i mean they're you can hear the sounds of the spoons and forks hitting the plate. They're they're really tucking in. I mean, it looks it's like tea, mm. it's tea mm. time, isn't it? Because if he he must have been here, he got there before like breakfast time. And to me, that looks like well, unless Let, lunch, it looks like a, an early like a four or five p.m. buffet type. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, um, oh yeah, mind you, it's like yeah, I can see like green beans in a bowl and like, it's the bread. There's like what looks like French bread. Yeah. Mind you, the kids ask for another tart, don't they? Yeah, so it's, it's almost like, yeah, some sort of buffet. Got any more of those jam tarts? Yeah, they're just <laughs> scoffing themselves. And Mr. Foskett sort of innocently says, we never know, hope you don't mind me sort of visiting. visiting. You never know if someone wants to see you after after many years. Uh, for, for all I know, you may maybe never want to set eyes on me again. Victor gives that polite grin that we all would when we like, no, not at <laughs> yeah. all. That was said earlier, actually. I don't know why I've done that, said that. But he has... It's one of the many one-liners I actually adored. What also draws us in is that his about his apparent kids, and he, when when the kid asks for jam tarts, he says, "Oh, they've um got sort of like an endless appetite, healthy uh, appetite for their age or something like that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he he then talks of um, a collection of um well a strange hobby he he's taken up with collection, collecting false teeth, which he does acknowledge is a strange hobby. Got some that date to the nineteen thirties and. He does invite Victor to come and have a look one day, which must sound like the most unappealing um, <laughs> offer, not only to be around Mr. Foskett, who you don't really want to be, but to, to look at a collection of false teeth. I mean, you might be interested in it, but very unlikely. It just reminded me of his brother Alfred, who had who collected um, yes, the yeah. skull of a great ancestor. So it's just a very yeah. thing to visualise. Just like I actually thought when we when we we will see the uh, collection of false. I was actually quite. I think I'd be more interested in that now than if I was a young lad. It just look. It does look the way it's set. I know it's, it sounds bizarre to say that, but I just thought when we come to it, I thought actually, that, that looks sort of cool, but it's still dentures. It's still false teeth. But. Well, we we know what we can, all the podcast listeners, what we can get you for Christmas now, then can't? Yeah, yeah, collection in. I mean, if that, I mean, if one of that prop is still available at the BBC or whatever, it must have been used time and time again. But Victor does bravely try to encourage things along. He sort of looks at the time, and Mr. Foskett interrupts again. That actually does get the hint. I'll just have to make a quick phone call, if I may, to see how Loretta and the boys are getting on, and then I'll be on my way. Yes, right. right. The penny sort of drops moments later for victor and margaret a bit of confusion he confronts as he's about to make a telephone call he, he confronts um mr foskett what did you say sorry loretta and the boys yes my two sons david and martin oh, i mentioned them earlier don't you remember <laughs> yes but they're in there surely well my two sons Oh, no. No, no, my boys are only three and four. I hope they've got better table manners than those two. <laughs> well, I assume... You mean they're not your grandchildren? Grandchildren? The, the big reveal is, and I think it's just one of the best like ongoing gags that we didn't know was happening, is the boys are not Mr Foskett's. These two uh, young lads, sort of 12 and 40, however, however old they are, they are not his children. The, the Meldries have... have been feeding and housing these two young boys the whole time whereas mr foskett said no I, my boys are three and four i hope they've got better manners than those two 
You, um, you haven't got a clue. You really don't have a clue. You you, you can't really guess that you gag. Can't. Because... There's nothing given away. I mean, he, Mr. Foskett thinks they're Victor Margaret's grandchildren. They've just had the day from hell, haven't they? Well, 12, pretty much 24 hours of hell going from... Horrendous weekend. Hideous. And they've... What we... To rub salt into the wound, Victor confronts the two young lads. They are Ian and Neil Grimway. Grimway. And they are the sons who, of the chap that Margaret spoke to in Asda, they have come to apologise, or they had come to apologise. Victor isn't having any of it and chucks them out. I said, did they give him some grief as they go? Oh, he, when he leaves, when the kids leave, they shout back, said, oh, you're miserable, old git. Yeah, or something like um, that. Or... Yeah, something along those lines, yeah. yeah. Uh, Margaret is, um, he's, she's, she's getting a whole... She's getting the garbage together, and meanwhile, Mr. Foskett is looking a little bit somber on the phone. Um, we don't really, we don't hear his conversation as such, do we? But... Don't hear him say anything, do you? No, he's it's a quick, it's a quick, it's it's quite a quick call, really, isn't it? Well, I mean, what um, we what we learn, I mean, I guess it's quick for a good reason. He's been told some very brief news, and this is where this is why the sitcom is amazing because it just goes from comedy to tragedy in, in a in a matter of moments. So Loretta has, um, the love of his life has left him. She's left me. She didn't say where. Just told her sister to tell me that it wasn't working anymore. The boys would be better off without me. She didn't have a migraine after all. Uh, And taking the kids as well. And taking the kids, so um, it's 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 devastating for him. He um, straight away. I mean, his persona. We talked about him, didn't we? Being Mister Happy and um, almost you know too happy, and then very quickly his persona changes his body. I mean, Brian Murphy, fantastic actor, of Brilliant. course, Absolutely. and you could just tell. You know, straight away, just um, yeah, he 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 looks he look, looks mortified, and uh, and obviously. You know, can't get over how, how how bad the news is, really. Um, and he walks into the um, uh, the kitchen, and of course, slips over the the garbage, which and unfortunately come out the bag. It's bag, so sad. Yeah. I don't know if, if um, Renwick intended for that to be a laugh out loud moment, but it, it was just really sad. I mean, he, what going back to the phone call? I mean, not only is Loretta left him unexpectedly, she's she's decided that she takes the the boys, and they're better off without him. Which I think just just sounds like quite an evil woman. Uh, we don't know the full. It's really dark, yeah. It's, it's really dark, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we don't we don't know why she's well. They don't really go into detail, but the point is, he we know at the stage he's a manic depressive man. He's tried to commit suicide many times, so that he's obviously been brought back down a few a few pegs to say the least. Um, and Victor's shown his quite caring side, really, sort of almost an arm around the shoulder, and um, that's just before he's. He slips over on the rubbish, and I think a bit later into the night, we he's having a a bath. I think because obviously he's, he's filthy and he just needs to relax. But of course, Margaret quite rightly points out, you know, you don't, you could you could lock that bathroom. You know, he's already tried to kill himself several times. Mm, he's just got this news now, so it's it's highly likely he may try something. Unfortunately, yeah. So. We we haven't really had time to probably digest the the funny joke with the two, the two boys being there all day and they're not even supposed to be invited, but. Before we, we've just got to take this in. Feel really, feel really sorry for him. And of course, when Margaret sort of realizes that, I don't know where Margaret's been for for him, her to not realize that he's having a bath. Yeah. So Victor sort of 
says, "Oh, don't be, you know, don't be silly," or um, you know, "What's he going to do up? What's he going to do up there?" Sort of thing. What can he do in the in, in in the bathroom? And goes out and takes the now fixed garbage bag out That's right. to the garden, and of course, goes to the bin, puts it in the bin, and we in view. We then see uh, Mr. Foscott on the roof. Mr. Foscott uh, with just the towel on, and um, I don't know how they filmed that because I know they they did use a stunt man for some of this, but we should talk about it in a minute. But it looks I don't know, he must be on some sort of scaffolding block beat up. I don't know, it is definitely Brian Murphy, but it's obviously, yeah, really yeah. So I'm sure it wasn't too hard to film, but I just tried to work out is that him from a distance? I know, like I said, there is a stunt man for some of it, but yeah. he does. Um, he sort of slips out of a shot. Cut to Margaret on the phone. I think she's. She, I think she's trying to get hold of the fire. You know the yeah uh, fire for fire, fire brigade. She says fire oh, brigade. I think, I think the brigade. Fire brigade. Yeah, and then she goes. Um, oh, you know, you might be, you might be too late because yes. she hears. Uh, she hears a commotion outside, and uh, we quickly then see, uh, Mister Foskett clinging to, clinging to the guttering, uh, with yep. his hands, and of course the towel, yes. is gone. Yeah, um, is it interesting that he's clinging on to life? Like he's he's obviously having an episode where he wants to end it all, but he's still clinging on. Uh, probably not the way he wanted to do it, admittedly. Well, but, it might explain why his other other suicide attempts hadn't true. succeeded because maybe ultimately, I mean, um, he maybe he doesn't want to go, or yeah, you know, yeah, or like you say, maybe not that way. He's he, he has doubts. Yeah, um, but it's, this is definitely a, a stuntman because, I mean, just as an observation, Mr. Foskett has got, like, he's got a pretty, um, he's pretty ripped, isn't he? I mean, he's, you can, his buttocks, he's got these, I don't know, to be graphic, he's got firm buttocks and he's got this, like, <laughs> body of a, of um, an, a very athletic person in their 30s and he's clearly about mid to late 60s in this. And it's it, funny, I, I, I paused, um, so when I was watching the episode a couple of times before the pod, I obviously paused at different moments, and um, uh, so we, we, we get uh, to see Patrick, uh, the, 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 the scene then turns to Patrick obviously coming in to his office with his special guests from something and Wang, Hunnets and Wang or whatever, yeah. uh, the business consultants, and of course you quickly then, the camera pans to the window, can you see his, and Mr. his Foskett, Yeah, and, and when you first, I paused it on Mr. Foskett and just the angle of the face I've got on that snapshot would suggest it's not Brian Murphy there. Yeah, it's I, um, Susie Belbin, producer, she she did say she had to get the, uh, the editor just to blank out a bit of the genitals which were in shot, but obviously not, <laughs> not completely done. Interesting moment to pause on that, uh, Mr. Lush. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's just wacky, isn't it? It's just like this naked guy hanging. So it goes back to sort of slapstick territory. Yeah, um, yeah, and just so poorly timed um, that Patrick is about to seal the deal, and he's he, I you can't blame him for thinking this is probably going to really hamper my 
chances, even though it's nothing really to do with with whatever consultancy. He can't be he can't be blamed for it. But then at the end of the day, you could imagine. I mean, it feels so unlikely, but you could imagine, couldn't you? Um, yeah. Either taking a prospective employer or whatever around, but also imagine a scenario where you're taking a bringing a date someone you've just started dating or a new friend or something yeah, to your house true. yeah and then you you know they <laughs> you probably think you've come to some sort of sex dungeon or something you know it's like what the hell is going on here there's someone at the a naked nap windows so it's just completely surreal isn't it that's why we love one fit of course it's a surreal moment would he i mean i know it, it's a naked man dangling, dangling from your window but from Patrick's point of view, would he? Why would he presume that's anything to do with Victor? Could have been any. Do you know what I mean? Like I know it's, you know, he, Patrick knows nothing to do with him, and I, I can understand why he'd presume. But also, he doesn't know Mister Foskett. He doesn't see him going to his house, presumably. So he could just be some nutter. Like I don't know. It could be because all those houses are connected. They're all terrace builds, aren't they? It could have been from anyone. I think Patrick just uh, literally assumes it. Uh anything that goes wrong mm. or is weird and dodgy and surreal is yeah. to do with Victor. It's yeah. almost like it's got to be, it's got yeah. to be to do with Victor. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, guess he's right, I suppose. But, um, that scene ends there sometime in the future. We're in the Maldry's kitchen. Then Margaret bits to come in through the back door as ever with the shopping. There's a bit of yeah. to and a bit of to and fro with Victor and Margaret in, in a sort of sarcastic sense that she asked if Victor remember to lock the door and he said, no, no. <laughs> yes, or just, just, you know, they're still encouraging the theft of their car in the hope of getting it nicked. Yeah. Oh, I surely that would invalidate the warrant. If just to be pedantic for a moment, if you leave your keys in the ignition, um, the forensics will, will know, even in 94. I got a very geeky, very, very geeky. How, how geeky do you want to get here? Um, Test me. Observation. Yeah. Um, they bring back bags from the supermarket. I just literally had a spontaneous thought then. So as does referred to earlier on in this episode, yes. Sainsbury's is mentioned. I can't think of which episode it is. It's not the one right back in series one where the cat is it. It's something about... Oh, it's, I think oh, it's when Vic, Victor's... He's, um, she's got the, the some frozen peas on Victor's back. He's got like a sore arse or something. And uh, the nurse or doctor comes around and she sort of looks at Victor's wounds and goes, oh, oh my God, I didn't yeah. know you can get uh, this brand or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, this... I, I just find it interesting, different supermarket, because obviously he's got Tesco bags now, as does mentioned, and Sainsbury's are mentioned as well. So I, uh, yeah, I, just, just a random thing. I know in uh, Rearrange of the Dust, there's a Sainsbury bag with the... Which I can. I always remember this slogan, good food costs less at Sainsbury's. Good, that was, where good food costs less, and, yeah. And yeah. Sainsbury's bags were slightly yellowy, in colour with the orange font. Mm. Uh, God, I mean, a pointless thing to remember, but I do like how One Foot isn't afraid to mention actual real brands and uh, obviously they reference various um, politicians and um, people in pop culture. Yeah, so I like that about um, One Foot when they, you know, when they, even if it's just like a bottle of ketchup, it will be Heinz ketchup. They'll, they'll mention the branding. It just mm. makes the jokes funny, I think. So anyway, there's a, like a parcel note which is like, they've got a parcel waiting for them next door, which Victor's yeah. dreading probably collecting it because given what's happened, I don't know why Margaret didn't just go around and collect it, but there you go. And we're brought to the kitchen of Patrick and Pippa. Um, there's a smug looking Patrick reading the newspaper, welcoming in Victor. 
he's sort of putting on a bit of a show and he just intimidate Victor, make him feel bad for the the incident uh, with Mr. Foskett hanging. He's planned it, isn't he? he he's, it. He's, Patrick has planned this. He can't wait. He's literally sitting there just waiting for Victor to come in, isn't it? You know, he's, yeah. he's got it all prepared. Yeah. Um, but I think he, he's making out that, we, like we mentioned this earlier, that he didn't get this this deal. Um do, does what he can to make Victor feel feel horrid, and he can the, the parcel was handed. It's quite a large box actually, mm. and Pippa, to be fair, she will she just knows he's been a bit of a dick really at this point. Yeah, she says you know you're just a bit. I don't know what word she uses. Just like, deliberately making him feel bad, aren't you? And he just seems pleased with that. I think he mentioned he mentioned to. Would Patrick mention about keeping patients locked up in the lab or something? I think he's. Oh, uh, please, uh, a little t- something like a little tip. You know, next time put a lock on the door yes, or something yeah. to stop stop them escaping. Mm. Um, with your lab, lab- yeah, la- laboratory. I think he or lab, yeah, yes. he, he refers to. So, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, Pippa dis- disproving of of his, um, you know. Childish behaviour. Child warts humour, if you like. He, I mean, he's done it before with the. The, the key that Denzel had apparently swallowed mm. in the previous episode, a shed key that belonged to Victor, and he, and he made Victor go through the, the, dog, the dog crap, <laughs> which I disagree. I think Patrick, that's his dog. It's, I think it's the owner's responsibility personally. If they, your dog's nicked someone's key. But anyway, I think yeah, no, uh, Victor, I Victor has done enough damage, intention, intentional or otherwise, to, to Patrick that he bows down to it. Um, back in the kitchen of the Meldrews, the parcel was accompanied with a letter, and it's a letter from the police, isn't it? Yes, yes. Dear Mr. Meldrew, we write to inform. Oh, it's from. Oh, no. It's Mr. Foskett. <laughs> After you left here on Sunday, you remember? With that police officer. They took him back to the station for a cup of tea to try and calm him down. It says. About half past eight, he left the interview room to go to the toilet and threw himself out of the window on the seventh floor. Prior to that, apart from the breakup of his marriage, the only thing he talked about was how kind and generous you and your wife had been to him that day and how nice it was to think you were so genuinely pleased to see him after all those years. Before he died, in hospital, he asked if we could arrange for the enclosed to be passed on to you as it was something you would express such a fascination for when you last We find out the, the tragic news that um, he hung himself. Which is so, that the news that he, he did actually kill himself, that is one of the moments, one of the few moments in One Foot in the Grave was more than a few, but that made the sort of hit, sort of hit home, like, wow, this seemingly really happy guy full of um uh vitality and energy and enthusiasm uh just yeah he did actually end up killing himself on the however i don't know how many times he's tried to since you know we, we saw him on the top of the that roof but yeah he's finally done himself in but what was quite nice was that he, he did he did speak uh generously of uh, victor and margaret and how nice they were to him that day and um yeah I think they, they look a bit guilty because they, they know they didn't really enjoy it. They were just being polite, but... It's, I... um, it's bittersweet. It's, I, I actually got the impression um, from the police letter, I can't remember the exact line, but I got the impression it was pretty much the same night. So I got the impression that the police took him away 
that night and he later that night hung himself. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, so... so his last day, so it was kind of like very bittersweet that his last day was actually with Victor yeah. and, and Margaret. Um, however, it was kind of nice that Victor and Margaret did. It's a, it's um, a good thing, didn't they? Yeah, they they kind of did do uh, a good thing. I was quite surprised going back to your your point about that it was um, quite a shock moment because in a lot of other comedies, not because he had um, he was clinging to life. You know, he was he was, he was seemingly hopefully a bit of hold on. You kind of expected in most comedies that he he's okay. You know, yeah, he's safe. Yes. There's nothing dark going to come out of it. That's the funny point. Yeah, his life is in danger, but he's he's okay now. And and this, yeah, it's not with one foot. Actually, he's dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, they they're not afraid to do that to yeah. us. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a few occasions where the the ending's happy, like Mrs. Uh, Stimson not being Stinson not being murdered. Yeah, yeah. As a, I guess one put in the Algarve that the, oh, the guy in Portugal, John oh. uh, Peter Cook, Peter Cook's character. Yeah, Pe- he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes through hell, but he does end up getting what he needs. You know, the photographs of the you know unnamed probably royal member of the royal family but yeah um what was funny about this letter from the police that they mentioned that the meldrews uh, well he donated this um item we're about to see in the in the in the parcel he, he said he he knew how um that they expressed such a fascination with the collection his collection his his personal collection that he wanted to pass on to them so of course it's three how do you describe it it's three like framed boxes open boxes with various sets of false teeth yeah there's like uh it looks, about... it looks a neat setup but it's like sort of it's well organized yeah for some reason i'm i i'm not it's for probably the vast majority of us would probably wouldn't want that unless you ask that it's such a niche hobby um it, it just it looks quite artsy but at the end of the day it's it's false teeth that were in the in the mouths of humans that probably I, I, I love how Mr. Foskey I think it's quite sweet really that he interpreted pretty much Victor not saying oh god that's awful that's boring that's rubbish yeah, yeah. you know um, as oh I'm really interested so clearly <laughs> other people he speaks to have dismissed it out of hand and Victor's mm-hmm. one of the few people that has actually been polite enough to sort of say oh uh, no no sounds sounds I think he says oh sounds fascinating or something like that but that's literally all he says yes. and Mr Foskett takes that that as always really really super interested. Yeah and I wonder if Mr Foskett himself had false teeth and his teeth are amongst that collection that but you know more of an official thing. I'd be interested to know if that's uh, the case. But um, yeah, Victor retrospectively says you can see why the neighbours, you know, would would laugh. You know, there's a lot of deep thinking going on. You know, going back to the the laughing policeman song, and he sort of ends that by saying, "Oh, where are the sleeping tablets?" I think they said they'd have to kill themselves if they if they if you didn't laugh at things in life. You know, you would. It's just a retrospective look back on you know have we got it that bad i don't know they must be so knackered i mean this they're probably so exhausted with the recent events there they just want to sleep it off but it's a tongue-in-cheek let's sort of do ourselves in as well sort of thing you know it's come to this there's a few references there's a few little references to that sort of similar thing throughout the series isn't yeah, there sort is. of um, oh i wish i was dead i, I yeah. wish you were dead sort yeah. of thing you know it's uh, yeah it's been one long foreshadowing for victor's um what conclusion to his character what, what happens to him but Mm. The, the credits in there and it's a rare 
occurrence where we don't have the traditional outgoing theme tune by Okada. We just have the credits to the Laughing Policeman. Or the, the, yeah. the song, sorry, for the Laughing Policeman. You get so, a special um, treat with a bit, bit more Laughing Policeman, yeah. So where does The Man Who Blew Away rate for you in the whole series? How do you want to give it out of 10? Do you want me to give you an out of 10 Let's rating? Or? Give it out of 10 and, and does it does it uh, sit in your sort of top, I don't know, top five episodes, for, for example? Yeah, so I, I, am, I am a fan of it. Um, I'd probably go seven and a half out of ten. I love the references to, I think I mentioned earlier on, you know, we, a lot of minor characters, the stuff around Mrs. Stebbings. Um, I agree with you. Mr. Foskett is a, is a fantastic character. Obviously, Brian Murphy, great actor. Yeah. We see the dark side as we often do, but I, I do think it was um, very poignant uh, regarding the fact we've got that sadness with Mr. Foskett. Yeah. I think it's dealt with quite really well. So, I, no, it's good. We've got some memorable scenes as well. You've got Denzel on the treadmill. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got um, Mr. Foskett's bits dangling in the window, Angus Deaton, uh, Patrick's walk, yeah. uh, like John Wayne. You know, so you've got some <laughs> you've, you've got some pretty memorable moments, and of course the the tosser joke with the in, in the crack oh yes, well. yeah. um, so you've got quite there's quite a lot in this episode actually. It's not overly Christmassy, like you said. So um, no, I I would say so. I would probably say not. Not top five territory, but a contender for top ten territory. I'll probably place it yeah, around there. That's right. I, I I give it probably a nine. I just think the um, wow, that's great. I think Mr. Foskett as I mean it's largely because of Brian Murphy and, and how he played the role. I wonder what his first name is because you don't. I can't really see what his first. I mean, a lot of the people in the Meldridge lives are Mr. or Mrs. But yeah, but yeah, I just think for Mr. Foskett alone that that's. From sort of from comedy to tragedy element, um, only Renwick could write that. Well, yeah. John Sullivan could as well, but in this sort of in this form, it's just richly dark, isn't it? Um, I think I don't know if I made a link. I don't think it's intentional. But with the, with the, the whole laughing policeman thing, I wonder if this is like a way of Renwick saying that even policemen laugh at Victor when things aren't going his way. So like the unsociable hours thing with the. With the, with the, you know, literally laughing in his face when, in, re- in reality, some police might be called out to house parties that run into the early hours. You know, that sort of sprawl out into the street. Um, but meanwhile, the laughing policeman's been played, and no one can do anything about it. I don't know if it's a sort of a running. Everyone's against. No, no, no one. No one's going to come to Victor's rescue. Uh, not even the coppers. And uh, Brian Murphy and Richard Wilson apparently worked together at Oxford Playhouse. Okay. Inspector. Brian Murphy, this is, I think you're offered to go nude in the studio, but Susie Melbourne assumed he would probably be embarrassed or wouldn't want, you know, wouldn't want to have an audience there. So she cleared the studio for, for this, but he sort of jokingly said, this is humor. Like, even if you had the, the audience in, as soon as I, I go nude, I'd probably clear the place out anyway. So he also had, <laughs> obviously had a good sense of humor. In the Richard Webber book, there's something about, the sitcom primetime back then was a Sunday evening, which Renwick always fought for. But the, the new control at the BBC wanted to um, move one foot in the grave to a Thursday. Uh, I think Renwick threw, essentially threw a tantrum and 
threatened to move one foot over to ITV. So I think this is, and this is not really related to this episode, but this is in the in the Richard Weber book. If you ever get it, under this discussion of of the man of blue away, did I think preceding this Christmas special, they wanted to move it the air into a Thursday. So thank thank you for the the, the BBC. They um they kept it to a Sunday, which is obviously mm. the prime time. But yeah, I mean, if you, any more com any more comments or anything else to summarize? I mean, you've certainly gone into depth with me in this one. Yeah, I, I just, I, I just think you're right. I just think that it just beautifully sums up in an episode the uh, uh, the facts, and you've nailed it with the fact that you're laughing one minute and then suddenly there's the the dark side that comes mm. out and this dark overtone, this dark undertones from the beginning with the snowman with the abandon or hope, you know, and um, they have a rough time but there's still lots of laughs. Um, so for me, it just sums up. Yeah, it's just a real one-foot episode, isn't it? it, um, it it's, only Renwick could write that. Yeah. Um, so, so, so it's been a brilliant episode to review and, and I appreciate slightly longer than a 30-minute episode, but only by a few minutes. Yeah. But even so, it feels like there's quite a lot to review in it, actually. It's, um, it's, it's, yeah. For Series 5, I mean, Series 4, amazing. Series 5, just just we're just gifted in my in my view series four and five just the strongest episodes i think combined have you got the energy for a meldry moan have you got yes, something you wanna, so. have you got something you want to get off your chest oh i do not will you look at this bastards can you believe the nerve of this i skin the ruddy heights for them <laughs> It's just purely for me. It's a road. It, it, it's driving related. So okay. I'm a I'm a a laid a laid back guy. Um, hit, you know, hit, I, hitting, I, the, I, hitting the dual carriage at a steady fifty. Uh, <laughs> or you call someone a daft doodling old bastard. <laughs> yeah. I do get I I do get the road rage and. Um, it kind of, I'm going to be slightly cheeky and try and get two little ones you kind of closely it. related to one. Um, I'm sure it's been mentioned by other people before, but um, it's, it's manners. Manners cost nothing. And it's when you uh, let someone go. Yes, this is it. I've got it. Yeah, this is, it really grinds my gears, if you forgive the pun. Uh, it's when someone pulls out on you where it's a bit of a 50-50. So you're kind of like, yeah, they, yeah. They can just about get away with it. But when you pull out and you've got someone close, you should put your foot down. Uh, not not speeding, but just yeah. you should put your foot down and to, to, to get up to speed. Yeah. Uh, you know, respectfully, because yeah. you have kind of cut someone up. You know, yes. it may be a 50-50, but it, it, it so often happens where, and they're often driving nice new cars as well, and I don't oh. get it. So they, they, they pull out and they literally take two minutes to get to 20. And oh. I, 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 I don't get that. It re so that really, really annoys me. And it's kind of linked to that. It's just people not saying thank you when you um, hold the door open. You know, yeah, hold the door open for them or something it's, like it's that. The, it's the level of arrogance. And I mean, with the car thing, I think if anyone's going to pull out in front of you, they got the least they can do is keep up the, the pace. Like, you know. Absolutely, you slow, yeah. You slow, yeah. You slow. If, you, if you're made to slow down, it's, it's a minor inconvenience, but... It is to your the brake pads and your brake discs and your your fuel consumption. It's uh, it's not as simple as just I'll oh, just slow down. But yeah, that's a, that's a valid note. Um, I feel better after getting that off my chest. That's, yeah, that's, 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 yeah. Why, that's why I provide the platform. And yeah, manners cost nothing. 
but yeah, that's that's perfectly valid. So, John, thank you very much for joining. Um, when can we expect the next Monkeys and Dogging podcast? Yes, yeah, so I'm hoping to go into production with that next week. So, hopefully, get that out by the following weekend. Uh, looking to review um, series one, episode five. That involves a very funny scene with um, Peter Kay's character uh, falling over and breaking his uh, arm, which sounds horrific, but um, it's when he's at a traffic light and he thinks he's got time to nip out and post something and he doesn't. And yeah, um, so that should be a fun one to have. And we, we, we've got a few other pots and pans sort of uh, in the background. So hopefully get a few more in uh, before Christmas. Um, and your, the Twitter handle for your pod is at and dogging. Yeah, uh, at and underscore dogging. And yeah, underscore dogging, and um, my own is also at John underscore Lush as well. Cool. Well, um, next episode will be only a story with Glenn, who frequently contacts the pod from Tasmania. So the way I'm going to have to do that is one of us is going to have to be up at earn sociable hours because he's about 11 hours ahead or behind. I can't remember which way around it is. So ahead, forward, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I look forward to re- reviewing that with Glenn. Obviously, anyone who wants to get in touch, have, the, have your say. Um, I would say to get involved in the podcast, but I've Many of you are kind enough to have um, put your names down for the, for the remaining episodes, but it doesn't mean to say I won't be doing separate episodes, standalone episodes. So get in touch. Um, my The email is blank then. One for the podcast at gmail.com, obviously on Twitter, at one for the pod. Instagram, that's sort of building traction. I think I've got hopefully got a few listeners out, out of uh, the old Insta. One for the podcast on Instagram. Sometimes frequent the Facebook groups. That's a great one for the great Facebook group. Um, so yeah, good, good for interaction on there. But John, thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. Um, just in case this goes out um, around about Christmas, Merry Christmas to you. And I oh, you, first uh, of the season. Merry Christmas yeah. to you too, sir. And just before we go, what is your one go-to British comedy you like to watch at Christmas? What's the one single episode you like to that you must watch? Apart from one from the grave, of course. It's it's a bit. It is going to be an Only Fools one, but I'll go a specific one for Only Fools. Well, two or oh, two specific ones for Only cool. Fools. A, a bit random as well. You might not be expecting this, but um, Miami Twice. Yeah, which was um, which came out Christmas Day, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. Should... I don't know why. I just it's a go. It is a go to. It, it's so funny you should say that about Christmas. I it doesn't make much sense why, but it's Miami Twice, and then and kind of um, Mother Nature's Son as well. That's very um, you know so. Uh, yeah, so the yeah, and fate, oh, absolutely. So it, it has it has to be only falls, but I mean, even more modern things like um, Gavin and Stacey. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, that's that that feels quite a winter pro like a yeah a winter Christmassy sort of program. Yeah. So, yeah. For for me, Vicar Dibley Christmas lunch incident, a must. Brilliant. Yeah. The, the porridge yeah. movie specials and. Well, loads, but I think also I would say Father Ted, Christmassy Ted, maybe yeah. even badly Jingle Balls. But yeah, loads. Sorry, that's probably for another time. But yeah, thank you, John. Um, very much enjoyed that. I'm glad to have discussed that particular one with yourself and um, keep in touch. And I would like to think you come back on for uh, another episode in the future. But, That'd be yeah. amazing. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Uh, everybody else listening, thank you as well. Um, I haven't asked for a while, but for those who haven't, popped in a review please would you consider doing that helps the show become more searchable and yeah next week it'll be only a story with glenn uh john take good care and yeah i'll speak to you guys next week see you soon guys thank you